Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. We think of kingdoms and kings throughout history. Many times our minds will think of power and military strength and greed and destruction and violence. This world has been a violent and bloody place ever since Cain and Abel. People grasping for power and dominion over others, whether in friendships, marriage, families, churches, anywhere. The, gut, the kingdoms of earth are ruled by sinful men. Even the best ones are ruled by sinful men. At best, the best governments still smell and reek of corruption. But there is a king and a kingdom unlike anything ever seen by humanity. A king. You might know his relative, an old king, David. This king is referred to as the son of David. Yet his origins go way beyond David. His origins, in some sense, go back to a heavenly realm. This one that has come and has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. He has set up God's government on earth. It is still being set up. And one day that will be completed. Unlike these other kingdoms we've just talked about, this is a kingdom of justice and mercy and peace. Instead of destruction, it heals. It gives hope and it restores. Yes, it will bring judgment and destruction one day, but for now and right now, it has an open gate for all those who love this king, who want to come in and find protection and safety and salvation. Very clear, the overwhelming theme of the ministry of Jesus was the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, same thing. And he is the only one that is worthy, only one promised, the only one authorized, the only one able to bring this power from heaven to earth. Two times this passage I just read, 17 and 23, we have the word kingdom. Verse 17, this kingdom demands a response of repentance. Repentance is mandated by this king. Verse 23, it's referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. You know what gospel means, right? Good news. This is really good news because the kingdom of God has come. And we see it in Jesus in his preaching and teaching as well as his actions of power and mercy. Remember how Paul used that word over and over again, the good news, what Christ has accomplished? Again, Jesus has come and he's bringing us good news and ultimately the kingdom comes through the cross. Again, the other kingdoms come through sheer power and the exercise of authority, but this power of this kingdom comes ultimately by a tree, a cross, where evil powers are defeated. Wrongs are made right, and people can become citizens of this kingdom. 
these people who know they have treacherous and traitorous ways can be forgiven and pardons can be extended to them. We see in this passage that in Jesus, Jesus presents the kingdom of heaven to humanity, to us, in the person and the work of Jesus. Again, we think about the gospel of the kingdom. All this is set in the context of the cross, right? We have four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four gospels. Four accounts of the good news, right? Four different accounts of the good news. And how do all of them work their way out? Where do they work toward toward the end of their, their gospel? The cross. It's the cross. That is the context of the kingdom of heaven. This is the good news for us in Jesus. So as we look at this passage today, we're going to see here Jesus preaching and teaching and doing miracles. And we're going to kind of listen in to see what he is teaching us about the kingdom and what it would mean if we could be citizens of that kingdom. So I want us to think in those terms, being citizens of the kingdom. How do you see yourself in relationship to this kingdom as citizens of it? Four points here this morning. First point, the light of the kingdom in Jesus demands repentance from all of its citizens. The light of the kingdom in Jesus demands repentance from all of its citizens. We see Jesus has been in the wilderness where he's been tempted. He's down south, and now he moves north up into Galilee. We've been talking about this in the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights. So he goes to Nazareth, which is home, but doesn't stay there, and he goes to Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee. And this is where he makes his headquarters. Headquarters is not in Nazareth, not his hometown. That'd be kind of likely, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be kind of nice for Jesus? Set up headquarters in your hometown? Doesn't do that. How about Jerusalem? That'd be an ideal place as well. But no, it's Capernaum in Galilee. Gets very specific here. It says in verse 13, this is the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why getting so specific about where Jesus is at? I mean, we probably hardly even know where these places are at. You know, what's the big deal about them? Well, it's very clear here. This is important for Jesus because this fulfills prophecy of the Old Testament. And the theme we're back on here again is what? Jesus always obeys his Father. He always follows and obeys the Word of God, as we saw in the temptation. And if Isaiah said this about Jesus, well, then Jesus needs to do it, right? And Jesus joyfully does this. He joyfully goes to Galilee to be the fulfillment of Scripture. Isaiah 9 is the Scripture where we know the more familiar verses. Unto us a child is born. Us a son is given. The garment shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the same context here as these verses. So this is a very important area for Jesus to go and to minister, and he sets up his headquarters, and this is where he kind of first does his ministry. And we say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, this area of in the northern part, Zebulun and Naphtali, goes back to, again, Isaiah. No shock. If you remember this from about a year ago or so, those regions up in the north, when the Syrians would come over from the east, they'd come around like this, and they would drop down through the land of Israel. 
So when they started coming against Israel, who were the first people to bear the brunt of their attacks? These people right here, people of Zebulun and Naphtali. They were the very first ones to lose their husbands and their sons to the Assyrians. They were killed first. This is why it is a place, as it says here, of darkness. Shadow of death loomed greatly. Again, if you remember Isaiah, this was just not happenstance that the Assyrians came. God whistled for them. He whistled for them to come and bring judgment on his people because they had been disobedient. And these people here in the north were part of being disobedient Israel. But in God's economy, because they suffered judgment first, they would be first given the blessing of seeing the dawn of the kingdom of heaven in Jesus first. They first got to see the light of day. They had suffered first in judgment, but now they're going to be blessed first through this light of salvation. Jesus, this promised king and Messiah, who brings this kingdom, would set up his ministry among them. Again, not in Jerusalem, not with the priesthood, not with the high priest, but with the people of Galilee. And this is not just a light, as it says there in verse 16. This is a great light. Teaching, preaching, doing miracles. This was a light for them. We don't always appreciate light, do we? Unless it's been raining for 10 or 11 days. <laughs> right? People have been talking this morning, man, I just, I just want sunshine. I'm tired of the rain. I need light. I was thinking about this passage. I remember a few times as a kid growing up on the farm. I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but I'd wake up some days and the sun would be streaming through the window. And some days we all admit, we're like, oh no, I don't want to see that. I want to keep on sleeping. But maybe just remember, might remember like me, there were some days that sun came through and it was life. You could not wait to jump out of bed. I don't know what it was, but that light was so refreshing. It was inviting you. And I couldn't wait to jump out of bed. I don't know what I was going to do, but it just felt like a new day had dawned. And this is the picture of that. There is light and hope here in Jesus. And if Jesus and the kingdom are light, good news, then it would make sense to go to the light, Right? It makes sense to go to Jesus and to listen to him because he is the source of it. And the very first word that Jesus publicly says, now he's prayed in private with his father, right? And he's spoken to Satan out in the wilderness. But the very first word that Jesus says publicly is repent. Is that not instructive for us? It tells us something about ourselves, doesn't it? It tells us something about the kingdom of heaven. The only way you get this light into your life and take away the darkness and that shadow of death that is following you to the grave, the only way you get rid of that is by repenting, turning away from your sin and the darkness and the judgment that you have invited, you have asked from God because of your sin. Verse 17, repent. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Again, the people of Isaiah's day did not want to be under God's rule. They didn't want to obey him and submit to him and have his protection. And therefore, they forfeited God's protection. God whistled for the Assyrians. We're only safe from God's judgment when we are under God's rule and in the kingdom. And we only get there by responding to the light of Jesus by <coughs> repenting. Repenting is a very sharp word. It does cut you, and it does wound. It's painful, and it goes on through your entire life. But when you've understood the good news of Jesus and the kingdom, and all that is offered to you as you sit in your prison of sin and judgment, you want the truth of Jesus to wound you, because you know in your wounding you are healed. I can't help but, again, go back to the book of Isaiah because I said this numerous times we are going through that book. This is one of the key themes of Isaiah. God disciplines, Proverbs 3, 11, 12, God disciplines his people and judges them for their sin, but if they respond rightly, they actually get healed by that discipline. There's healing in discipline. There's healing in repenting over our sin, even when it hurts to the very core. This idea of repenting should really not be a surprise with it being the, the first word, the first command from Jesus. Because we got this whole idea in the Old Testament, right from the prophets, constantly telling Israel, turn, repent, get right with God, forsake your wicked ways. We could think of numerous examples. And then we got John the Baptist, right? John chapter 3, verse 2. His message was about Repenting, repenting. This is the time to repent. The kingdom is now here. But also this makes sense because we know according to the Bible that all of humanity has turned away from God. Romans 3.12, they have all turned aside. Together, Emmanuel Baptist, they have become worthless. Emmanuel Baptist does not do good, not even one. Every single person has turned away from God and his goodness, his grace, his truth, and his law, and they don't want his rule in their lives. This is about Jew and Gentile because all have turned aside. It says here in verse 15, this is Galilee of the nations. So all the nations, all the Gentiles were around them. And because of Jesus' ministry, Jew and Gentile was gaining the light through Jesus. There were Gentiles that were coming that were hearing Jesus as well. So Jesus is the light for all these people. All can repent and turn of their sins. This kingdom demands repentance. Jesus has full and complete authority to issue this command to every single one of us. And all of us are obligated to obey this command. So the question is today, are you welcoming? Are you submitting? Are you loving the rule of King Jesus? Or are you hiding from it? Trying to run from it? Some people don't like the light of Jesus. Is it shining into your life? and giving life to you? 
Are you trying to close the shade and go back to sleep? Second point I want to make here about being a citizen of the kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom are defined clearly in relationship to Jesus. Being a citizen of the kingdom means that you have a certain kind of relationship with Jesus. 18 through 22 gives us that clarity of what that means. So we got this general command to repent. You go, well, that's kind of general. I kind of get the idea, but what does that really mean? Well, here we get more clarity about what that means. And if you keep hanging with us, we go through chapters 5 through 7, being a citizen of the kingdom, we're going to get a lot more clarity of what it means, okay? Teaching of Jesus about the kingdom, Jesus is always defining categories. He's always trying to find for us who's in the kingdom and who is not. This can seriously bother some people. It sounds like it's so definite. It sounds like there's very clear boundaries. It sounds actually kind of judgmental. But Jesus never talked about another category, kind of a limbo category, kind of in the middle. Jesus here helps to understand very clearly who's with Jesus and who, therefore, is in the kingdom. Let's look at these. We're going to be fairly brief on them because they're found throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be coming back to them. So first of all, we have this command, follow, right? In verse 19, follow me, Andrew and Simon, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the second word of Jesus there, isn't it? Second sharp command. Repent and now follow. Not just follow, but follow me and follow nobody else. Simon and Andrew get this command and they go with Jesus. Now, we talk about this all the time as far as following Jesus and being followers, but we're set up here a little bit in a dilemma, aren't we? Because to follow Jesus, we can't actually follow him physically around. He's not here like them. So how are we going to understand this? And really, it's not hard. We just need to think about what it would be like if you were those disciples following Jesus. Okay? So what were they supposed to do if they actually attached themselves to Jesus? Well, they would have to listen to him, right? They would have to obey him. They would have to want to imitate him. They would want to learn from him. This is what's involved in this command to follow me. I have to admit, as I've thought about this command quite often, I've usually talked about it in terms of an invitation. You know what an invitation is, right? Sometimes churches have invitations, come, you're welcome to come forward and to receive Jesus or whatever. But then I started thinking about this a little bit more, and think about this. This is a very sharp command, isn't it? It's a command. Jesus is not saying, here's an invitation for you. Here it is. I'll step back, and I want you just to think about this for a little while. Take some time, mull it over, and, and get back to me. Send me a text, an email, my secretary, and just let me know what you think about this invitation. We think about it sometimes somebody standing in front of the church issuing an invitation. Please, please come. Please, please. Ten minutes. We don't have that here. It's just a sharp command. Follow me. That is actually a command. Don't view it as an invitation. If you view it as an invitation, you could miss the kingdom of God. 
What does it mean here to follow? Well, it means leaving one's old life. We got Simon, Andrew, and James, and John, and they all had their routine because they were fishermen. When they got up probably early in the day, and the light shone through, maybe light wasn't up yet, the sun, but they knew what they were going to do. They had the routine to get those boats ready to go, to get the nets ready to go. Everything had to be paired, so hopefully they would catch a lot of fish. But now they were going to follow Jesus. They had to put that old routine away. Now Jesus was leading them into a whole new life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You now accept a whole new way of living. This is upheaval. This is a disturbing of one's life. The calm of our routine, the calm of our comfort, doing our own thing, planning our days and our years and our life as we want to, all that is gotten rid of, and now we follow Jesus and wait for him to tell us what to do. This would include deprivation, depriving ourselves of comfort and safety. Look here in verse 20. Immediately, in response to Jesus, they left their nets and followed him. James and John, verse 22, immediately left the boat and their father and they followed him. They left their jobs. They left all that they had known. All the stability of their life was gone. And we've got to be careful here. We're not saying that you have to pull up and move somewhere or quit your job and be full-time in the ministry or something like that. But what this is getting at is that the daily activities of what you do are now centered around Jesus. Now he's actually dictating what you choose and decide and want to do. And, of course, if we're following Jesus, it's going to lead to you being quite uncomfortable because that's what Jesus does when he issues these commands to follow him. Again, Jesus' goal for you is not your comfort. This means leaving one's old life. It also has here implications with one's family, doesn't it? If we read here, we look at uh, 20 and 21, immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, John, and the boat was Zebedee, their father, made their nets, and he called them, immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. They left their dad in the boat and they walked away and left dad in the boat. You think, you know, hey, Jesus is going to get upset at them? Honor your father and mother. What are you doing? You can't leave them alone. Again, we have a demand here, don't we? Follow Jesus and there are implications that we don't control. And sometimes there is the teaching of Jesus that bumps up right against family. And for these here, if they're going to repent and have the kingdom, they're going to have to leave their father. They can't have Jesus and their father. Jesus is going to talk about this many times in the Gospel of Matthew, where over and over Jesus says, me first. Everybody else in your life, get out of the way. Kingdom first. 
Notice again that Jesus is doing exactly what he preaches, right? I alluded to that earlier. He went to Nazareth, he went home, but he didn't stay there. That'd be a nice place again to set up headquarters, right? Next to my family, I'll do ministry. Uh Uh-uh. He moves away and he goes to Capernaum. Jesus is doing what he preaches. We think this is a very tough command. And it is. It's a little shocking if we understand it. But much more shocking to those in the first century, especially in those in the Middle East. Uh, I was made aware of this when I was over in Iraq. I can't remember now if I allude to this in my presentation or not. But uh, I met this translator. He was with us most of the time. He was from Egypt. And I asked him about family in the Middle East. And he proceeded to tell me that his name, his full legal name, is seven to eight names. He is the son of so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. That is his full legal name. His whole identity is bound up with his family. Now, practically, when he uses his name, he only uses two or three names. But he, who he is in his existence, is not by himself. It's tied to his family. And therefore, as probably most of you know, to do something that would dishonor your family in the Middle East, your life is about over. You never dishonor your family. And here Jesus is encouraging and teaching the leaving of one's father. There's no way we can make a nice spreadsheet and tell you exactly what this is going to be for you. It looks different for all followers of Jesus. But if you are repenting and you're following Jesus, Jesus will make it clear to you what the implications are for you. Be careful of your marriage. Be very careful. It can take you from the kingdom. Read 1 Corinthians 7. Sometimes marriage takes people away from kingdom priorities. Be careful of your children. Your children can take you away from Jesus. Be careful where you want to live and have a job and raise a family. That might take you from the kingdom. Somebody here, young or old, might be called to do missions, but no, I'm not going on the mission field because I don't want to leave my family. Jesus would say to you, repent and follow me. Does that sit okay with you? If it doesn't bother you a little bit, I don't think you've heard Jesus. Because this is very unsettling to me. We have to understand what Jesus is actually calling us to. Because sometimes we in our own minds, we have our own little image of what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus is not subject to us and our opinions of him. He gives the commands and then he leads us and he says, repent, follow me. Being careful with how you engage your family is a part of repenting. It's a part of being a citizens of the kingdom. Chapter 19, Jesus raises two very shocking issues. It causes some people to stumble. First of all, he talks about marriage and divorce and then talks about money. And both times as Jesus gives his teaching, both times the disciples are shocked. 
When it comes to money and Jesus teaches them about who can be saved, the disciples step back and they say, in shock, who then could possibly of anybody on earth be saved? They don't think anybody can be saved based on what Jesus is teaching. It's amazing how different it is from us many times because we just say anybody can be saved. Just turn to Jesus. And when Jesus gets done teaching on money, the disciples respond and say, we don't think anybody can be saved. That tells me how we understand Jesus' truth might be a little far away from the truth. But then when it comes to marriage and divorce, as Jesus teaches on that, the disciples end up saying, whew, maybe it'd be better not to marry and be a eunuch. They seem to understand this a little bit of the demands on you in the kingdom in relationship to your family. And the disciples said, boy, maybe we shouldn't even marry. This is too intense. Have we heard Jesus clearly or are we doing a voiceover? Our voice over the voice of Jesus. We also see here, besides leaving old life, it's very, very urgent. Verse 20 and verse 22, immediately they left their nets. Verse 22, immediately left the boat. Again, this was a command of Jesus. It was an invitation to be mulled over. What are you going to do? Jesus put them on the spot right then, right there. Sometimes we are a little delusional. Delusional to some degree with reality. Sometimes we think that we have lots of time. Life is spread out over many, many years. Some years ago, I read this or someone told me this, and I've tried to have this mentality, probably have failed many times, but it was said to me that every time you preach, you preach as though everyone who is listening to you, this will be the last time they hear the word of God. Don't expect those people to come back next time. Expect and preach in such a way that they get vaulted into eternity and you're the last time they hear the word of God. And that's how I want to preach. Because the urgency, you can't put this off. Then we see here there's also a mission involved. Jesus says, come, repent, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Speaking their language, right? They knew how to grab fish. Now Jesus says, come with me, and we're going to grab people for the kingdom now. I'll show you real fishing here. So as they go out and preach and live the kingdom, they're going to send out the call to others to accept Jesus and the kingdom. They're going to tell others to repent and come and follow Jesus. So it's not simply being satisfied that we know Jesus and the kingdom, but you want and you plead and you sacrifice for others also to come in the kingdom. You're repenting and you're following is also not just for you to be in heaven, but you're repenting and following Jesus for other people. That's how a disciple thinks. I'm doing this not just for myself, but I want to go out there and reach others as well. As a band of Jesus followers, a church as a representation of Jesus and the kingdom and IBC, Emmanuel, is called to go out together and fish. 
Emmanuel Baptist must not be only about having good meals, having good teaching, having some good programs, having some good music. Repent, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Thirdly, we see about being assistants of the kingdom. The hope of the kingdom for citizens is in the power of Jesus, the Messiah. And this is verses 23 through 24. Great summary here of the kingdom work of Jesus, teaching and preaching and healing here. So there's power. There's power in what Jesus preached and what he taught and as he healed. And he demonstrated that the kingdom of heaven had come to earth. And it was fairly obvious to people who watched. The sick were healed. People with various diseases and pains were healed. People who had demons were freed. People who were epileptics, people who were paralytics, they were healed. And we see this is a fulfillment of the promise of Old Testament prophecies where one would come, a, a king, a king, a prophet, a servant, and these would be the works that he would do. In fact, you remember back in Isaiah chapter 11, we have this great picture of the kingdom of God coming in the new creation where all these animals that would be pray for one another, they're going to lay down with one another and they're not going to fight. Remember that passage? It's a beautiful picture. And it's all about this Messiah King coming and bringing his rule to earth, the new heavens and the new earth. What we're seeing here is, in all these healings, is a down payment of this the promise of the new creation. The new creation is beginning to blossom. The blossoms are coming out, and pretty soon we'll see it in its fullness when Jesus comes back. No, not everybody got healed. It wasn't because of their lack of faith. It just wasn't time yet. But this is a down payment. All this and much more is coming. This is the promised time of the Old Testament. God's rule is coming to earth, and it will fix and restore all the dimensions to human life on this earth. But it's only going to be for those who repent and follow Jesus. As we're going to see in Matthew 5, those who repent and follow Jesus will inherit the earth. The new heavens and the new earth will be for Jesus' followers who repent and turn to him. We get the impression through most movies and TVs that deal with this issue that most people are going to heaven. It's kind of an assumption. If you're alive and you're not too despicable, of course you'd be going to heaven. But these miracles here we're seeing from Jesus are reminders that those who are under God's rule, this is what a little bit they can expect of what's going to happen when the full kingdom comes. And so as we see people who are sick and hear that people are, have various diseases, we, we hurt for them, and we pray for them, we, we pray that God would heal them. But when we go back to these passages, we are reminding, as Jesus did miracles on each person, that the heaven, the king of heaven, is coming fully. When heaven comes fully and God rules perfectly, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. And if you have Jesus in your heart and the kingdoms in your heart, this hope has been placed in you. And you know what that does for you, don't you? That living hope inside of you, 
You know what it does for you, right? It doesn't make you call for a waiter to come and bring you more caviar. It makes you want to love Jesus all the more in obedience and follow him and be deprived of anything that is necessary because you got nothing to lose. We got absolutely nothing to lose if the kingdom is ours. Lastly, the kingdom is suspicious of crowds who follow Jesus. Verse 25, great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is just a hint of what is coming in the Gospel of Matthew. But it's also important for us to know what this hint is all about, and this is a warning here. Jews and Gentiles from all over were coming and, and listening to Jesus teach and seeing his miracles. And for some people, there is great comfort in being in a crowd. For some people, they hate crowds. <laughs> Makes them nervous. They don't want anything to do with a crowd. But for some people, it's fun being a crowd. Hey, you like that music too? Everybody's listening to that music. He's a great musician. I'm in this crowd. It must be good stuff, right? I like this restaurant. I like this book. I love this movie. And there's something about if a lot of people are doing it and they're in it, must be good. And you get reassured from being in a crowd. We know from the rest of Matthew that being in a crowd is a very, very dangerous thing. The crowd here in this gospel means that people are trying to be in the middle. They don't want to outright reject Jesus and walk away, but they also don't want to commit to him. They'd rather sit and watch and observe from a distance. They're intrigued. They're curious. They know there is power here. You cannot doubt it. Jesus does these miracles. There is something here. I come to church and I know there's something here. There's something going on. I don't know what it is. But like this crowd, they hear Jesus and they say, repent, follow me, leave your father. And they go, uh, I'm not sure if I'm okay with that. But they don't want to walk away. So they stay in the crowd. And they want to hang in the crowd for all to see what might happen. If this is you, and you like trying to create this middle place, you don't really want to fully commit to Jesus and to be with his followers, you're on a cliff. You're on a cliff with a great crowd who refuse to repent and follow Jesus. It might feel okay because you're with others who seem to love Jesus and you live off of them, but you yourself are not actually doing this. Go find the disciples of Jesus and be with them and commit yourself to Jesus and his followers and obey him, repent, and learn the way of the kingdom and get off that cliff. Lord, this teaching, in some sense, leaves us speechless, especially when we think possibly of how we've heard these things before. And they don't seem to have been so big before. And yet, these are the biggest things of life. 
and we're supposed to make them the big things of our lives, and yet we know in our sin that we try and want to make them small things in our lives so they don't get big and take over our lives and, and call for us to, to submit and obey and do things we don't want to do. Lord, indeed, the kingdom of heaven is very threatening. It's, it's got great things it offers us, but it's very, very threatening. It's threatening to our selfish ways. We kind of want to be left alone. We don't want too many people messing with our lives. And Jesus is to be all over our lives. Lord, I don't know where everybody's at here this morning. I don't know if people are trying to hang out in the crowd a little bit and, and hear Jesus from a distance and not get too close. I don't know if there's some here that are really not following Jesus at all. I know there are people here who want to follow Jesus and they are willing to lay down their lives. And you know them by name and how you delight in them. God, I pray for all of us here that it would be our joy and delight in knowing that you are delighting in us because our hearts reflect the heart of your son. And that's what you're looking for. Don't be rich. Don't be educated. Don't have to dress nice. It's not important. But a heart where the kingdom of heaven can dwell and you can rule. I don't know what needs to happen. Whatever needs to happen for those things to be true in our lives, bring them to pass. And may we not fail. May we not be grow weary. May we not faint when you do those works. Because that means your kingdom is coming, even though it's painful. Bless us, Lord, with truth and your grace. In Christ's name, amen.